You are listening to Oliver Dixon on the Station of the Year. 25 minutes to the top of the hour. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. This is the Wednesday edition of Night Talk. Thank you so much for being with me. I really do appreciate it. When I started the show, I said something that's sorely missing from our national political discourse is empirical data. Attached to that, empirical data formulated, synthesized, and analyzed in ways and methodologies that passes uh, the rigor of academic um, fitness, if we were to use a word. And it used to be a big part of the academic output of South Africa in journals in, in, in the early, mid, and maybe even late 2000s. It has since slipped a little bit away. Political scholars have shifted their attention away from understanding the partisan, more towards understanding, understanding the system, the theory, and perhaps more specifically, the nation broadly. And we've left the minutiae of political data and political sciences to analysts who don't necessarily provide analysis that passes the muster of, of academic rigor. But when I read a paper recently uh, um, uh, co-authored by Dr. Onga Mtinga, I was like, man, this is, this is it, it, it may seem so mundane to the average person that it's important to look at the numbers and attach these numbers uh, to decisions and moments and, uh, and place it on a timeline that is chronological in ways that make sense that you can track out into history and perhaps use it as a, a, a framework to look at the potentiality of the future. I read this paper and I was like, this is needed. And that's exactly what uh, Dr. Ongamam Tinka, as well as Gary Francis, uh, provost uh, from the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University, did in this particular paper. Economic freedom fighters became South Africa's third largest political party in just 10 years. They say, what's behind its electoral success? And let's perhaps start there. Ongama, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, good evening to you, Oliver, and your listeners. Thank you for having me. Usually we have these sort of conversations away from the public eye and, uh, you know, between trees and green grass. Uh, but it's important that we have it centered here. Numbers aren't sexy. Numbers aren't exciting. Um, graphs don't, you know, make help us make sense of politics in the day to day. Because it requires work, it requires us to slow down, but you did exactly that. So let's start there. When you looked at the EFF's electoral success, of course you started by looking at the electoral outcome. Methodologically, how did you track it backwards? Sure. So that was uh, interesting. It was a collaborative effort, actually from work that uh, my colleague, Professor Gary Prevost, had done with other uh, colleagues um, from uh, the, I'll tell you now, in the, at the University of Joburg Center for Social Change um, and a few other data sets. So they collated data, exit polling data, and then conducted an analysis mainly focusing on political attitudes of EFF voters, uh, political attitudes of EFF uh, university supporters. Now, the latter one was also based on data sets that were collected in various campuses. 
and so the that that portion of the paper was derived uh, from that where there was mostly quantitative uh, data from this um from these uh, surveys but also qualitative questions where you know the 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 supporters were answering specific questions around the main campaign platforms of the EFF when you want to understand and, and, and by the way sorry by the way Oliver so what I then did for my section of the paper was to do approach it from the perspective of political communication right so mine was the qualitative one in terms of which I focused on what the EFF frame themselves as being about based on behavior and based mm. on some strategies and tactics that they've used. And and, and I do want us to come that because it's a big part of the, the, the paper. How does the EFF communicate itself and how does that effort land uh, within the elect electorate, its base, and of course, uh, those who are opposed to it? Uh, but let's start here. When you want to understand why people vote for a political party, what sort of questions are necessary to ask? Sure. I guess the 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 the, the first basic ones relate are more direct questions. You know, um, why do you vote for this party? Before this, have you voted for another party? If you have voted for a different party before, what explains your change this time, among other things? So part of the data, for example, was gathered in an ANC stronghold in Kabecha, uh, uh, the area of Kwazakele, where the conclusion is made that the younger voters who had left the ANC were leaving it um, mainly because of the representativity of the EFF as a young organization, but also, you know, uh, uh, um, not getting the not getting the sense that the ANC could be changed in order to deliver uh, on the original mandate, as it were. Yeah. So let's then go to where we can locate the EFF's electoral success over the last ten years. Ten, eleven percent of the electorate in ten years is a big margin. I can't think of another political party that's achieved the same electoral share in the same amount of time. Um, I mean, even Tony Leon's Democratic Alliance perhaps didn't get as close. I mean, the Democratic Alliance really found its electoral stride uh, in, 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 in Helen Zillis' administration, right? Um, so by any, by any stretch of the imagination, the EFF uh, performed as well as COPE and outperformed COPE in, in, in the second time mm. into the ballot. Why? So, yeah, you're quite right. The, in fact, the, the, the small parties sometimes get to be called short-lived parties uh, by some political scientists, precisely because of the fact that they come in one election and they cause some upset here and there, but as quickly as they came, they disappear from the electoral system. So the FF has defied the odds here in the sense that with each successive election, it has grown, albeit marginally. And so in my section of the paper, I attribute this to the approach that they used once they got into parliament at a time when 
the dominant party, the ANC, uh, was using its power in order to enable what had uh, become a sore, uh, a, a, a thorn in the flesh of South Africans, the 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 the, the Gupta Zuma uh, uh, network, uh, you know, in terms of the the political culture of the time and how the ANC in Parliament had become ineffective in the sense that it was being instructed from Lutuli House in terms of what to do. So I say the EFF managed to augment the opposition voices without necessarily changing the bums on seats, if you like. So you were likely, after every sitting of Parliament, to hear more about what the EFF did than you would about, about what the government had gone to the House to do. If you remember listening to talk radio um, around 2016, 17, 18, um, you would recall that uh, the EFF annoyed a lot of people by deliberately disrupting uh, parliamentary processes, parliamentary sittings, which were, for the most part, uh, very mundane and boring and, you know, um, uh, induced a great deal of sleep. And when the EFF did that, it was a landmark court uh, judgment that came out on the back of litigation after they were kicked out of the house by Tandi Mudise. And, 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 and what the court effectively said is actually parliament is and should be a uh, open to protest. It should be a floor within which protest can take place within because it is uh, tied to all uh, principles of democracy as any other institution in part of the country. And that was an important part because it gave the EFF the legal license to continue being disruptive uh, and continuing to, to, to barrage. And you may have enjoyed it during Jacob Zuma's uh, tenure and some people, a lot of people I see, turned uh, attitudes around when it was Cyril Ramaphosa to which the EFF did that, right? But did that lack of what we can call for the for the sake of the conversation, political decorum served the EFF well? I argue that, yes, in the Zuma era, because you were truly stark in the sense that the opposition wasn't effective. Uh, even internal opposition within the ANC wasn't effective in stopping what was happening. So I then argue that in introducing a new way of engaging in parliament, and pushing the boundary in terms of what's regarded as appropriate behavior in the National Assembly, um, the EFF was able to express the public anger against that system. To the extent, in my view, that even after the um, Mangaung, the first, sorry, the first Nazarek conference after December 2017, yeah. Part of the pressure point for a, a, a change of uh, the president came from threats by the EFF to disrupt the state of the nation address. And I think that in, it, 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 this was more peculiar in the sense that it, it, it bolstered the new ANC leaders to actually be a lot more, uh, to see a lot more urgency in changing the president because uh, the EFF was a pressure point among other among when among the internal politics of the ANC. So, adding to those internal politics 
was the idea that a continuing chaotic National Assembly would counter the message of emerging renewal or coming renewal uh, as a result of the political changes that had happened in 2017, December. Yeah. On the other side of this, and I want us to take a break, but on, this, on the other side of this, I want to talk about the criticism that the EFF faces all the time in their political communication. That is that it's filled with contradictions. Firstly, I want to establish if that is indeed true and if it is at all, if it is true, detrimental to the EFF. Uh, taking your reactions, give us a call. 86 2032. I'm in conversation with politics lecturer at the Nelson Mandela University, Dr. Onga Mamdinka. We continue the show on the other side of this. It's nine minutes to the top of the hour. You're listening to Night Talk. This is the Wednesday edition, and we're discussing politics as we head to the ballot. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate it. I'm in conversation with Dr. Onga Mamdinka, politics lecturer at the Nelson Mandela University. Onga Ma, Julius Malema and the EFF, by consequence, are often referred to and characterized as flip-floppers on certain key political moments. Is that at all true? Well, we've seen um, the evidence of it. Whether it's uh, from, uh, you know, chasing the ANC out of governments in 2016, uh, only later to change and bring the ANC back, or it's in uh, other things. Um, you know, in relation to, for example, what its approach is to the corrupt in the ANC, um, its approach to the public protector, from changing to alleging that uh, former public protector Busiso Mkwabane was a spy and bad news for the public protector to her being regarded as the ultimate revolutionary worth of a worthy of a seat in the party's benches in parliament. So there has been evidence of that. But what's interesting, I've just tweeted this and I've tagged you, uh, where I say, based on their behavior, what do I think was their implied objective? What strategies they used to pursue that implied objective? And what tactics uh, are, are an example of that? I implied only because I didn't sit and interview EFF politicians. Um, I said, based on the behavior, this is what one can take. So, for example, um, they, uh, they, 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 they wanted to position themselves as altruistic corruption busters and enforcers. Yeah. I argue that in order, what the strategies they pursued in doing that is posturing and framing, and the tactics they use was in voting with the DA in 2016, tactically refusing formal coalitions, refusing executive positions in municipal councils, and then the court cases that they uh, were they were fighting, and then there's example examples of other things as well. Uh- but did they achieve the objective, the at least the implied objective, not in how they went about executing it, but how inadvertently sure. other things may have uh, been of consideration there? VBS became yeah. a serious matter. Yeah, so the answer is yes and no. So there are there is a sense, for example, that if uh, some uh, some 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 there's a crisis in a company, um, uh, very often, I've been asked, for example, by people, don't you have contact details of EF of the EFF? 
because we think that we need them now in order to deal with this uh, uh, employer that's not, you know, uh, cooperating with us or that's oppressing us. So, in in a sense, they are they are gaining traction there, and hence they are growing. But you're quite right; that message hasn't been unproblematic. Um, the corru- the ultimate corruption buster message, for example, is problematized by the allegations of the benefits of Floyd Shibambu's family and uh, the family of uh, Julius Malema in VBS uh, spoils. True or not, it doesn't matter, but I mean, there's been some allegations that are serious with some alleged evidence being brought uh, there. Also, there's the Ratanang uh, Trust issue that dates back to Malema's time in the Youth League. So so the voters are complex, right? They will give politicians some latitude based on what politicians have done to redeem themselves, but they are not not factoring in some of the contradictions. That's why, for example, you'll find that in some areas in the country, the EFF is not gaining as much traction as it would want. Uh, the first one was in, in the Eastern Cape in general, uh, but also in, in, in KZN, it's battling to to grow there. But um, it's it's doing fairly okay in Northwest, in Bobo, in Bumalak. Yeah, yeah let's, let's, I mean, it's parenthetical, but let's pause on, here, on, on the Eastern Cape very quickly. You will recall quite directly, Julius Malema blamed uh, uh, the busy work schedule and caseload uh, of Dalimpofu for the EFF's misfortunes in the in the Eastern Cape, or at least not reaching its uh, targeted growth in the Eastern Cape, um, and and subsequently changes were made, and you know, um, Dalimpofu went about silently continuing his legal career and, and not being as politically active and involved at the at, at, at a senior leadership level in the EFF as he previously were. Um, what did what did you make of that as a communicative device about its own performance? Yeah, so I don't remember the exact politics of 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 it. You know, I I do remember Julius Malema not being pleased with his performance, uh, but so he's gone. But the traction the party is gaining is 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 not significant in the province. Mm. Yeah. So lastly, then, and I think this is an important part, right? The EFF, in how it communicates its politics. Um, and how it performs its politics are important data sets to evaluate. It Mm. positions and communicates itself as a pro-poor party that is, as Mbuyseni continuously reminds us, Marxist-Leninist in its outlook, Um, one that speaks specifically for the domestic workers, the petrol attendants, the farm workers, and the unemployed. Does it consistently behave politically in that way? So that's interesting. So it has um, gone on to undertake campaigns that seek to position itself in that way. So, for example, when it went to allegedly defend or purportedly defend state property in Seneca, when it went and fought against cliques, when it went and fought against um it was at Breckenfell the the incident yeah. that involved young people so it has taken these campaigns that seek to attest to its uh, role as the ultimate defenders of the poor uh, 
Uh, but okay, we've mentioned the VBS issue, but also the counterproductive relationships with rogue elements within the ANC that have actually compromised the effectiveness of the state and how the party can claim to be about the poor when in fact it's cutting relationships with people that have stolen from the poor, allegedly stolen from the poor. Yeah. Um, and of course this is feels like such a silly question to ask, but the fact that Julius Malema and Floyd Chivambu have been seen living incredibly extravagant lives, designer clothes and all of those sort of stuff, right? Which they're, I guess, entitled to uh, if, if, if they have the means to and clearly have the means to afford that kind of lifestyle. But does that do well for or detract away from its pro-poor communicative agenda? Um, it would be interesting to... You see, the challenge with the South African system is that we have not been able to com- to completely weigh the contribution personally of a leader and the party because of the fact that our voting system is more a closed party list system. So, yes, we do get to measure popularity, for example, uh, but it's 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 not to an extent that one would be able to separate, as to in terms of what the what con- the elements that constitute the support base of a party, how much of it comes from the influence of the person personal yeah. leaders, and how much comes from um, the brand of the party itself. And I guess that data is kind of hard to collect. You'd have to speculate about it. Uh, <laughs> and we typically do that in our politics, at yeah, least in our yeah, political yeah. discourse, right? Um, yeah, and the, and, the, and the whole thing about popularity rating, I saw the survey that came out yesterday, if, I, if my memory serves me well. Uh, I forgot the trust now, the name of the trust that, came, that, that uh, released that data. They've been doing some polling data, which, you know, is not very kind to... Uh, Julius Malema's personal branding. He's a pop, he's a he is a popular politician in terms of, you know, what they've been able to determine, but also among the most yeah. feared, most unliked. Yeah, Ngama, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate it, and I hope I get to see you again and, and smack some balls around. Uh, but again, I just want to say, actually, thank you for your paper and 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 the detail in it. it it's really, really appreciated and contributes in meaningful ways to our national political discourse. Only a pleasure. Thank you for having me.